Hey, welcome to the Scrum GBH's Politics Podcast. I'm Adam Riley with Peter Kazis. Hey, Peter. Hey. In this episode, you are going to hear a conversation I had with our colleague Philip Martin about his new story looking at former state Senator Diane Wilkerson's improbable political comeback. But first, Peter Kadzis, I really want to get your thoughts on what transpired recently when House Speaker Ron Mariano headed down to the South End to endorse his House colleague, John Santiago, and instead stepped in it by saying that he was afraid his car was going to get stolen while he was in the neighborhood. Thank you, Mr. Speaker, for coming all the way to the South End. Peter Kansas, what was Ron Mariano thinking? Listen, this is an argument for uh, keeping House and Senate leadership uh, under lock and key up in Beacon Hill. But that having been said, let me express some sympathy and add a little context. I was not there, but having talked to several people who were, Mariano was joking around with the assembled audience and saying, you know, the first time he had come to this neighborhood as a young man, um, for whatever reason, he, he finished whatever he was doing and came outside and found that his car was stolen. And he told the story as a real-life urban tale. I mean, we've all had experiences where we park somewhere and you come back and your car's been towed or, you know, your car's been stolen. So that's the background. The House Speaker, who I can tell you is a very decent soul. Tough guy, fair guy, decent guy. Made his unfortunate comments. Now... There's a larger political lesson to be drawn from this, not so much a lesson for Mariano, who I think has learned his lesson. Um, And that is that Beacon Hill bigwigs in the legislature or legislators in general live in the bubble. They live in a cocoon. They talk to each other. They talk to lobbyists. Now, I'm not saying this is true as Mariano or every member, but most of them don't go out to constituent meetings the same way that, say, Boston City Councilors do. A Boston City Councilor has way more face-to-face contact with his or her voters than anyone on Beacon Hill does, even the most active people. So, Marty Walsh, even after becoming mayor, uh, exhibited this in the bubble trade. I mean, talking to many long-term veterans, you know, civil servants lodged in the city bureaucracy, they would say, you know, that Marty really brought a statehouse frame of mind to the mayor's office. Sometimes they thought that was good because he wouldn't get all caught up in every single little neighborhood public interest groups. And when it came to things like bicycles, they thought it would be refreshing because he just sort of waved his arm and said, let there be bikes. Contrast that with Tom Menino, who, by the way, at some point did wave his arm and say, let there be bikes. But Menino would be painstaking in 
considering every single angle that could possibly come to bear on a citywide question that could materialize from the neighborhood. It's like that scene in The Godfather when Michael's with his dad, Al Pacino is is with Marlon Brando, and his father keeps saying, well, I keep going over this from every single angle. I want you to raise to have a telephone, man. Check all the calls that go I did it already, Pop. You know, good man. I took care of that. Oh, that's right. I forgot. One example that comes to mind when you talk about the difference between Walsh's approach and Menino's is the rollout of the Boston Olympic proposal, which seemed predicated on the idea that, okay, we, the insiders, have determined that this is a good thing. And now we know you, the public, have questions, and we're going to get you on board, as opposed to doing it in the reverse. And we all know what happened there. Ten, ten kooky people on Twitter were the only ones opposed to it. And those ten kooky people shot it down. Unlike, say, Commissioner Gross's endorsement of um, Anissa Asabi George, which I think will have some practical value, the House Speaker's endorsement is largely symbolic. It does help with money. It would help with raising money, especially at the State House, but it wouldn't have the same effect in any case. It's good to have, but it's not like the firefighters endorsement, for example. It doesn't put a lot of um, shoes on the ground or fingers on the keyboard. You know, it's, it's an unfortunate slash entertaining aspects of this mayoral election. I'm going to be talking to Philip about Diane Wilkerson and her comeback, but you've been watching Wilkerson, a former denizen of the state house for a long time, you know, going back decades. What are your thoughts as she assumes this new, I don't want to say central place, but a place of significance in the broader political debate well, first of all, Philip did an excellent job, but I'll leave that to the two of you guys to discuss. Um, she's going about it in a very smart way. She's setting herself up not as a sup- supra-city-wide power, but rather she's working you know, with those closest to her, her neighbors in Roxbury, the South End, Mattapan, um, to try to make black political power more muscle-bound. And I think she's going about it in a very smart way. Now, her past does have a downside. For example, I I suspect that's one reason why the Baker administration doesn't engage with her um, on her group's um, COVID outreach. But on the whole, and and by the way, on the Baker administration, that's a legitimate position. Might be short-sighted, but that's a legitimate position. It's sort of like doing business with Sal DeMacy, who's trying to reestablish himself. But I think this is a sincere, if perhaps 
flawed step forward to get her back in the game. But I look forward to hearing what you two guys have to say about Diane Wilkerson. With that, on to my conversation with Philip Martin about his piece, The Rehabilitation of Diane Wilkerson. What was it that made you want to write this piece? You've seen her all over the place. We uh, had not heard a lot about Diane Wilkerson over the last uh, few years. Here and there, you, you of course, hear about her uh, in the community because she's been consistent in that sense. Um, immediately after serving her sentence, she was out there, but not to the degree she is now. Black Lives Matter, if anything, propelled her to um, even greater prominence uh, than she's always always had. She has loyal supporters within uh, Boston's black communities and beyond, working with the um, uh, justice transformative um, uh, organization out of Georgia, for example, to help elect two Democratic uh, senators, uh, two Democrats rather, to the U.S. Senate. Uh, she was part of that major effort, organized a major phone bank, uh, phone banking operation in Massachusetts, uh, where hundreds, uh, perhaps thousands, made phone calls to Georgia uh, and contributed mightily to the effort to elect these, uh, these individuals. But you also saw her in the forefront of the fight for equity uh, in, the ter- in terms of uh, COVID of testing and vaccinations. Uh, as a co-leader of the Boston COVID coalition, and she uh, also was uh, at the forefront of organizing uh, to get out the vote in black communities, uh, in brown communities this past year, uh, taking part in, for example, the drive-in uh, that was set up in Roxbury, an impromptu drive-in where Ayanna Presley spoke at. Uh, and there were hundreds of people there in their cars, basically cheering on the Democratic candidates, Biden uh, and his running mate. Uh, And she has been engaged in also a new effort called Wakanda II uh, to try to get uh, black communities behind one candidate in uh, Boston uh, to, uh, uh, to be the next mayor of, uh, of Boston, believing that without that effort, uh, the vote will be splintered and a non-black candidate will be elected mayor. So it, essentially, the, the impetus to focus on Wilkerson was Wilkerson herself, the energy that she was putting behind multiple efforts uh, to uh, create change. Um, And it uh, merited uh, a further look. She is doing all this after spending time in prison. Can you recap for people who might not be familiar, what was it that sent her to prison? Because it was one of the more remarkable falls from grace that, that I've seen in my time paying attention to Massachusetts politics. It was indeed. After defeating a longtime Black Senator, the only uh, black senator represented in the Massachusetts State Senate, Bill Owens, after defeating him in 1993, Diane Wilkerson, who already had a reputation for being heavily involved in her community, 
uh, in, and I should say her communities, Dorchester, Roxbury, Mattapan, and uh, heavily working with uh, LGBTQ uh, organizations. Uh, she was elected uh, in, in 1993 and went on to um, represent th uh, these communities in the same way that she represented them as a lawyer and as a grassroots activist. Uh, Hands-on, always present, and people felt they could always call upon her uh, to address their issues and needs. But she also developed fairly quickly a reputation for evading taxes, uh, for uh, misusing campaign funds, uh, and this, uh, and, and she basically copped to those uh, those charges, <clears throat> paying off the uh, of fines to the IRS, um, addressing issues of uh, campaign misuse. Um, and uh, agreeing to pay back money at various times. And then came 2008. She was in a restaurant in October of that year, uh, talking with someone who had asked her to intervene on his behalf legislatively to uh, help grease the way for the creation of a nightclub in Roxbury. As it turned out, this uh, individual was a confidential informant working for the FBI who had essentially met with, uh, with uh, Diane Wilkerson. On other occasions, he had apparently given her money uh, to make this happen. And on this occasion, uh, she was filmed uh, accepting 10 $100 bills that she stuffed into her clothing specifically her bra. It was just such a damning piece of video because you actually saw it happen. It wasn't just that you read about it in the court affidavit, but there was this embarrassing shot for her of her doing this illicit thing. That's right. It, it, it was uh, as clear as day. Uh, the FBI had this recorded. There was both a video shot of that and a still shot of this, of her uh, stuffing the money into her clothing specifically into her bra. And it was, as you said, Adam, a damning piece of evidence, but also an extraordinary source of embarrassment to her uh, personally and to her constituents, uh, her, um, the, the folks she represented, uh, both as a senator, but also as a community activist. Uh, as, as I said, she had a wide reach within various communities. And, and this essentially was uh, considered Exhibit A in a case against her that could have brought her more than 20 years in prison. Uh, she agreed to, um, to about nine charges uh, of, of extortion uh, in uh, the, the following year, 2009, and was subsequently sentenced to three and a half years uh, in federal prison. Uh, the, the, as I said, there could have been a greater number of charges uh, uh, brought against her. There were a number of complaints, but they whittled it down to about nine, uh, thus uh, allowing her to serve a minimum amount of time. She had said she wanted to serve, um, uh, her preference was to be there for her, uh, one of her kids or her uh, uh, grandkids uh, graduation. Uh, in 2013, and it was 
so so her uh, she basically never really admitted that she had done anything wrong. She said she had agreed to a plea bargain in order to expedite the time, uh, but uh, she pointed out that folks agree to plea bargains all the time but aren't necessarily guilty. Uh, she told me this in an interview uh, with her that that she, while agreeing to the plea bargain, she did not necessarily consider herself uh, guilty of anything because she said everyone was doing this, that there were all types of um, of exchanges uh, taking place within the legislature in order to facilitate legislation. Is she right about that? I don't know, but we can we can assume, given Massachusetts' reputation, uh, both reputationally and actually its history, uh, that there have been um, uh, other instances of quid pro quos taking place uh, within the Massachusetts uh, legislature. So we have to assume uh, that she was right about that uh, those those circumstances occurring. Uh, But the question becomes uh, one of rightness in terms of the of of any number of things in terms of moral, the moral question, and in terms of the um, the question of getting caught. She might have been the one who got caught. Boston Magazine had pointed out uh, in a 2015 article, the writer who was uh, writing critically of Diane Wilkerson, that other uh, legislators, for example, uh, had uh, uh, tax improprieties, but were not uh, were not brought up uh, on on charges. And so this may be one of those instances of uh, of another of uh, example of improprieties in which one person was caught. One of the things that jumped out at me in your piece was the fact that it doesn't even seem to occur to her today after all this played out that she could potentially have said, no, I'm not going to take your money in exchange for doing what you want me to do. That doesn't even seem to be on her radar. And even if there are illicit things done in and around the state house to get people what they want, to me, that's still pretty breathtaking that that that's not even an option that she seems to have considered. In speaking with um, Diane Wilkerson, she was clear uh, that she felt, A, that she was set up, uh, that that setup was wrong, uh, that she was targeted for her outspokenness, perhaps for being black, though she did not say that uh, specifically. Uh, she uh, tended to uh, suggest that it was because she was outspoken, had made enemies, uh, including other legislators, uh, including the police, uh, including uh, some within uh, the federal um, uh, prosecutorial uh, establishment, uh, including the U.S. attorney at the time. Uh, so she was fairly clear that what she was uh, talking about uh, were largely the optics uh, that she felt that uh, the the um, situation was embarrassing that she agreed upon. Uh, she was, uh, but but in terms of ex- uh, explicitly stating uh, that she had regrets or was uh, or apologized for the action itself, uh, that did not happen during our interview. Uh, she essentially said uh, that uh, other people were doing it. She was caught. 
Um, she was um, targeted because of her outspokenness, which, by the way, may be true. We see that happening uh, uh, in various, uh, under various circumstances to an, any number of individuals. And black politicians throughout the 90s, for example, and, and some in the, in the early 2000s, seemed to be disproportionately targeted when other politicians were doing the same thing. Does that justify it? Of course not. It certainly doesn't. Uh, but it, there's, um, there is that condition where race uh, could, in fact, play a role. And I think in 2021, we're more aware of that than we would have been uh, years ago. We would have been incredulous that uh, someone would have asserted that race played a role in someone's prosecution uh, for, uh, for a crime uh, that was clearly committed. What you're talking about in terms of the broader picture is almost the, the political equivalent of, you know, some people get pulled over for illegal air fresheners and some people don't. I do not want to minimize what she was found guilty of doing, but it's the perspective that you're mentioning is it's worth thinking about. Yes, it is. And I think we've, we, we have seen this um, over the years. You had the famous case, of course, of the judge, Elsie Hastings, of uh, complaining uh, that when he was uh, found to have engaged in corruption, uh, complaining that uh, uh, he was a federal, former federal judge, if you remember, um, I think out of Florida, uh, Representative Elsie uh, Hastings. Uh, but it also turned out that he was, uh, he was guilty uh, but it also turned out that there were indeed others doing it. We know that only because others were brought up on charges. And we never know what the tip of the iceberg really uh, entails. When she got out of prison, did she just sort of come back organically by returning to the sort of advocacy that she'd engaged in previously? Or was there a concerted plan in place to rehabilitate her and get her back as a player in public life in Boston? There may be more than one, uh, more than one answer to that question, but ostensibly, I would say this. She returned, uh, and the mayor of Boston, Tom Menino at the time, the very next year, selected her among 18 women who are changing the world. 18 women of... Uh, who are changing the world. Now, that's quite an honor. And I think it, that had to have happened organically. Because I think even with, I, I think um, Menino realized, even with, uh, and he, as you know, was a very astute political uh, operative. Uh, there's no other reason he could have been elected uh, multiple times uh, to the mayorship. And and I, and, I, and I think he looked around and he saw that she maintained uh, a major uh, number of supporters uh, in black and brown communities and within the LGBTQ community. So important to point that out. When other people were uh, blasting uh, gay couples um, as, uh, as, as an abomination, uh, including black ministers who were doing that, if you remember, joined with Mitt Romney in making uh, 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 pejorative and condemning statements of, of, of gay folk, uh, 
uh, Diane Wilkerson stepped in and said, uh, these are my people uh, and I'm going to uh, s support them. And so she has, uh, uh, in addition to a black and brown cons constituency that is loyal and those on the ground, even people who don't vote, uh, who have uh, supported Diane, Diane Wilkerson, she also maintained uh, heavy support within the LGBTQ community uh, and within some legal communities of those who worked as defense attorneys, those who worked in law clinics like at the Suffolk uh, Law School, uh, those that represented black youth and uh, brown youth, uh, they all applauded uh, Diane Wilkerson uh, based on reporting that I, uh, I've done uh, around this story uh, that we weren't able to get uh, on the air or in print. But I spoke to a number of people who, who still uh, basically, after her sentencing and after she went to prison, after the scandal, still support Diane Wilkerson because they believe she was and continues to be effective in terms of her advocacy. If I recall correctly, you didn't get anyone, despite trying, to talk negatively on the record about her. Am I right? Am I remembering correctly here? You are remembering correctly. I, of course, reached out to the Republican Party, uh, to Jim Lyons uh, specifically, uh, and also, also reached out to Kevin Peterson of the New Democracy Coalition, who wrote a very condemning piece of Diane Wilkerson for the Boston Herald in 2015, uh, evoking that now infamous uh, photograph and video of her uh, taking money and uh, stuffing it into her clothing. Uh, and at that time, in 2015, um, Kevin Peterson faced a major backlash for that article, uh, A, for publishing it, uh, period, and then B, for publishing it in the Herald. Uh, which uh, which uh, advocates like Howie Carr, Carr were already uh, harshly uh, condemning of Diane Wilkerson. And so when he, uh, uh, Kevin Peterson published this piece, there was a backlash piece uh, published uh, by uh, Jamal Crawford uh, in The Dig. And that piece uh, essentially uh, put folks on warning, particularly Kevin Peterson saying, if you're going to attack our senator, uh, which is what Jamal Crawford essentially said, well, then we're going to basically bring up your past to Kevin Peterson. Uh, Kevin, of course, had some, had some uh, uh, problems of his own. And, and so in speaking with him this time uh, in 2021 about Diane Wilkerson, he uh, acknowledged that that photograph is still problematic but also said all of us, everyone, particularly in the context of Black Lives Matter, should be given second and third uh, uh, chances, second opportunities, uh, second uh, of, uh, efforts at uh, rehabilitation. This current role that Wilkerson has carved out for herself after getting out of prison, is this the limit for her or is it possible that we may see her make another run for elected office? It's hard to know. Um, she has not ruled it out. We will um, uh, see what happens next with Diane Wilkerson. I would not be surprised if she ran for office again. Um, I don't think it would be against uh, uh, Sonia uh, 
uh, Chang Diaz, for example, the current senator who took her place. The piece is The Rehabilitation of Diane Wilkerson. It's a fascinating read. Anyone who's interested in Boston politics or Massachusetts politics should check out if they haven't already. Philip Martin, thank you, as always, for making time to talk. Thank you, Adam. Much appreciated. And that is going to do it for another installment of The Scrum. Thanks to Philip Martin for joining me and Peter Kadzis, and to you for taking the time to listen. Subscribe to The Scrum if you haven't. Rate us if you have a minute, and please talk back to us. You can email us at scrum at wgbh.org or find us on Twitter. I'm at Riley Adam. Peter is at Kadzis. And our producer, Zoe Matthews, is at Zoe S. Matthews with one T. The Scrum is a production of GBH News. Have a good Memorial Day weekend. We'll talk to you again soon.